Today, Jesus uses the term to describe himself, I am the gate. And whenever I've thought about that, it's always been a curious symbol that he would use for himself. But it only became clear to me when I went to Jerusalem for the first time. When I went there, I went to Bethlehem, and our tour guide showed us all these different places, and he showed us this little cave. And when we went into this cave, it's basically on the hillside, and it's uh, the light you can still see through. But what happens is the tour guide told us that the, she the sheep would go into the cave, and then the shepherd would lie down at the entrance of the cave. And then it clicked in for me. Oh, that's why Jesus says that he is the gate and he's also the shepherd. Because the shepherd literally lays down like a gate to prevent intruders from coming in, but also protect the sheep as well. In fact, there are other different kinds of sheep pens where they have about a four or five foot rock wall. And then there's an open entrance where the sheep can go in. But then the shepherd, when he's taking care of them at night, he'll sleep in that entrance. And so that kind of makes sense now. Like, okay, Jesus is the gate. But what does that mean for us spiritually? Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved. We hear him say a similar thing when he says, I am the way. And no one can come to the Father except through me. And so when you think about a gate, a gate, you go from somewhere to somewhere. So if Jesus is the gate, where are we coming from and where are we going to? And I think the key to that answer is found in Psalm 23 that we heard today. That the shepherd leads us to the darkest valley, or another translation of that is the valley of the shadow of death. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. And so there we have it. The Lord leads us from the valley of the shadow of death to the house of the Lord. And we enter through it, through him, as the gate. And so what I want to do today is I just want to come to kind of go deeper into that. How does Jesus lead us from death to life? We know that Jesus' death and resurrection leads us to eternal life, but how does that work? And the way I want to explain it is with black holes. When I was a young kid, I wanted to go into space, and so I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer. But of course, God had other plans for me. And so, when I hear about space things, I'm always interested. So several years ago, I heard that they were able to take a picture of a black hole for the first time. It was quite fascinating. They had to get 200 scientists. They had about eight telescopes from all over the world just to take a picture of this black hole. And what's really interesting is that if you know about black holes, basically a black hole is an enormous star that has imploded upon itself. And then the leftover mass compresses, forming this black hole with this dense mass. And black holes are massive. The black hole that these scientists took a picture of is huge. We know the Earth is big, and we know the Sun is 1.5 billion times bigger than the Earth. But this black hole is 6.5 billion times bigger than the Sun. So this, this black hole is so massive, has so much mass, you can only imagine the gravitational pull, which is so strong, strong enough even to pull in light. And if you get too close to the black hole, 
It will draw you into its center, into its singularity. And scientists have theorized what happens to you when you go into a black hole. Sometimes scientists will say that when you go into this black hole, gravity will slowly rip you apart. Or some scientists say as well too that when you enter into the black hole, immediately the firewall just incinerates you. But we can't know for sure because anything or anyone that goes in has not been able to come back out. And so I use black holes because in some ways it's an analogy for death. You see, Adam, at the beginning of time, had a choice. It's not just a choice of eating the fruit or not. It was a cosmic choice. Adam had the choice to either orbit the sun or to orbit the black hole. Adam had the choice to orbit around the light of God's love through trust and obedience, or he had the choice to plunge into the black hole of death through disobedience and fear. And as we know, Adam chose the latter. And so what Adam did was he committed a personal sin, but he put us all in the state of original sin. Original sin is a state. So every son of Adam and every daughter of Eve now is now born not in the orbit surrounding God's love, but now we're born into this gravitational pull of the black hole of death outside of God's orbit. And that's why this is the bad news where we all die. There's a 100% mortality rate and we cannot escape it just like you cannot escape this gravitational pull of the black hole. But the good news is this, is that God loves us so much that He cannot stand being separated from us. And so God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. And so what Jesus does is Jesus enters into our world. He freely submits to the Father's plan. And what He does is He enters into this gravitational pull of the black hole of death. And the light of the world itself experiences death. But this is the fascinating thing of how he transforms death into life. You see, there are different theories about what is inside a black hole. And some scientists will theorize that what's inside a black hole is actually a wormhole. And so what is a wormhole? Basically, if you ever watch any space movies and they jump through this portal and they are transported to another location, that's what a wormhole is essentially. A wormhole is basically a shortcut through space. It's a portal that connects you to another place. And so, of course, it's a theory we don't know for sure. But what's interesting and I like about this analogy is that before Jesus, when we die, we enter into the black hole and we're just trapped there or we're dead. But with Jesus, because he's God, he can enter into the black hole. He can create a wormhole. And basically, he creates a pathway that leads to life. And that's why with, with Jesus, that's why St. Paul says, those who die with Christ will rise with him as well. Because if we go with him into the black hole of death, we can enter through, out, through it, out of it through the wormhole that leads to life. And so this is, how, this is why Jesus, we call Jesus a shepherd. He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death and leads us to eternal life. But he is also the gate as well, because we enter into eternal life through and with him. And so this is the final part of the analogy. 
Imagine then that we are in these space suits and we're just floating around and we're being pulled by the gravity of the dark hole of death. And if we get pulled in on our own, we're going to be destroyed. But what Jesus does is not only does he create the wormhole, he also creates and gives us the rocket ship, which I call the church. And Jesus is the captain of this rocket ship. And the way that we can get on is by using a three-letter code. B, B, B. Belief, baptism, and body. Belief. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that anyone who believes in him might not perish but may have eternal life. Baptism. Unless you are born again of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God and the body. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. And so when we enter into the church, into the rocket ship of the church, we enter into the body of Christ. And that is why he is the gate that leads us to salvation. That's why as Christians, we have the hope of resurrection. Because Jesus has gone before us. He's paved a path that leads to life. And that's why the Christians and the martyrs and the saints could look death in the eye, but still live with trust and love. Because what was once a prison is now a pathway to eternal life. And so Jesus continues to lead us, to shepherd us through the ministry of his priests. Today we celebrate Good Shepherd Sunday. We're invited to pray for priests, to pray for vocations to the priesthood. Do you know that, uh, this is, I asked Father Anthony about the stats, and five years ago he told me that in five years, 14 priests are eligible to retire. Do you know how many priests we got in the Diocese of Calgary in the last five years? Two. Me, and then the guy who's going to get ordained this year. So you can see we're already in a deficit. Father Anthony also said that in 15 years, almost over half of the priests in the Diocese of Calgary can retire. And of course, our vocation director, Father Cristino, is doing a lot of work. Right now we have nine seminarians. And we have Peter here as well, too, and we pray that he will be ordained. And Father Cristina said this year that several candidates have applied to the seminary. And he's speaking to 75 young men throughout the diocese. He's praying that many of them will join the seminary and eventually become priests. But he can't do it on his own. It's the responsibility of the whole church to encourage vocations, not just for ourselves, but for our children and for our children's children. And so we're invited to reflect, what are we doing to encourage vocations? The CWL are, are sponsoring a seminarian. A couple of weeks ago, we did a 40-hour devotion to pray for seminarians. But how are we intentionally, concretely, and personally supporting vocations to the priesthood? Because these men, these priests, are incarnating the shepherding power of Jesus Christ. And so, my brothers and sisters, let us give thanks to God for the gift of salvation. But let us also pray for more priests who can assist us on our journey from the valley of the shadow of death to the house of our Heavenly Father.